We never know where life will lead us or what may hinder us along the way. But while every day can feel like one big question mark, it doesn't have to. With the right insights, strategies, and solutions from Western and Southern Financial Group, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, we're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube. It's our Wednesday midweek edition. We'll do a little 49ers Seahawks preview with Mina Kimes. That's coming up mm-hmm. a little bit later. But first, we got a little Monday Night Football. Explain the grade and rest in peace, rest in peace, Mike Leach. Rest in peach, peach, peach Street. Never heard that peach. one before. Yeah. Well, we can just edit it out. Oh, okay. That's what we do. Cool. Anyway, hi. How's it going? Aren't we live? Yeah. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay. Um, I have a charity update for you. Oh, great. So email us suggestions for charities, forfeits, et cetera, nflpodcast at pff.com. In addition to just, you know, whatever you want to email us about. We have a couple of emails coming up later. They power the show. We like hearing from you guys, even when it is telling us how stupid we are and how bad our stuff is, which happens later in these emails. But anyway, uh, so we need a charity. My suggestion, if you're interested, is Meals on Wheels as a thing. We Somebody mentioned that we haven't, so we've covered all these different things, you know, women's health, men's health, uh, kids, animals. Haven't hit the old people, so to speak. Um, Meals on Wheels, <laughs> very good thing. They they did stuff for my grand when she was old. They're kind of good, obviously, feeding them, but, like, they spent time with these people as well. So I think that's a good one. But anyway, the forfeit, you like this, right? I have become, let's say, uh, pen pals, I guess. I have started communicating with a professional rugby player. And we have agreed that it would be a good idea for him to film some of his teammates, you know, other professional rugby players, completing a few basic rugby skills, you know? And we will then take this video, show it to you, and have you replicate the skills. Right? Doesn't that sound good? So, you know, can you drop kick, for example? Can you feel the high ball? Can you fire a, a spiral pass at a target? That kind of thing. I mean, it feels fair, I guess, after right? making you play baseball. Yeah. I guess I'll have to do that. You do realize I'm a former professional athlete. I do. Natural, That's why I think it should go well. Pretty athletic. Uh-huh. Six foot ten. Yep. Also 40 and over the hill. That's, a lot, of, uh, that's a lot of catch radius. Yeah. Hands are very... What's the high catch? Somebody punts the ball way up in the air. It's like a punt. You got to feel the high, high ball. You got to secure it. Who's going to punt it? I'm not punted. Oh, you don't punt it high enough to, as a professional. Well, we'll see. Let's see how it goes. Let's find a local professional here. I don't think there are local professionals. Not here. in the Cincinnati area. No. If you're a professional rugby player here, you in might the find Cincinnati a local area, amateur. Reach out. But I'm not sure you'll find a local professional rugby player. But anyway, sure, I'm in. Sounds good, good, right? Yeah, I'm fair. Yeah, so fair. we'll set up the uh, the GoFundMe again. Start when are we doing money. that? It's getting cold soon. Well, the Christmas period is particularly busy for the rugby folk. Yeah. So they have a lot of big games coming up. So I think we'll sort of we'll get the money going. We'll raise the cash, 
and then we'll check in with uh, with my with my guy after we'll the do uh, it in, uh, after the new year. Possible Ari- Arizona, yeah. but we need a field. Uh, the man, the man upstairs, Solf thinks thinks that's not a problem. Thinks we'll have a field. Speaking to God, yeah, the man upstairs. Um, so yeah, th- that's going to be our challenge. Watch Steve attempt to do basic rugby skills. All right, fine. Let's Demonstrated by a professional. All right, I'm in. And by the way, this is a professional from the world's number ranked, number one ranked rugby team. Oh wow! Look at you. All right. Who's Ireland? Yeah. Number one. Uh huh. How do we get up that high, that high? A lot of wins yeah. consecutively against good teams. New Zealand's really fought. They're they're struggling. Huh? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Blue bass them. Well, good for you. Name dropping and. Well, I didn't actually name, name, drop the name. I understand. You're pen pals with the, with the best rugby I want to wait players. until it's you know, locked in completely in. before I drop the name. I'm in. I think I'm going to nail it. I think I'm going to do a good, we might good be, job. Uh, maybe we can get you some swag as well. An I'll official ball and maybe an official giant you know, 7XL jersey or whatever it is you take. Yeah, I give me the, I'll rock the Ireland jersey. Let's do it. Get that going. Let's go. All right, so uh, set that up, Sam. We'll do it. I'm on. I'm on it. Let's go. Uh, what are we talking about today? Monday Night Football. Oh, what a mess. It happened. Everybody got injured. Yeah, so we have an NFL Daily today on Kyler Murray and the unfortunate ACL injury. Talk a little bit about the Cardinals. And um, it wasn't a full autopsy, but it was enough, right? Yeah. To kind of go through their difficult situation because they might not have Kyler Murray for most of next year, if not mm-hmm. all of next year. But in the particular Monday Night Football game, Patriots win 27-13. to It was 13-13 to when uh, DeAndre Hopkins gets uh, – Kyle Duggar strips, uh, you know, forces a fumble, not a strip sack, forces a fumble, return for a touchdown. Patriots go up 20 to 13, tack on another touchdown to go up 27 to 13. That was the final. Uh, Cardinals had Colt McCoy replace Kyler Murray. It was a little hit or miss. Yeah. From that standpoint, New England's offense was also hit or miss, but they made a few, had a few explosives in there and overall maybe took a step forward offensively. Yeah, and I think that's a few weeks now where we've seen, you know, real signs of life from Mac Jones. Um, he had been playing badly pretty much all year. And then now we, okay, he didn't play great against Buffalo, but that's Buffalo. But now against Minnesota, who everybody looks good against, and now against Arizona, we've seen his two best games of the season, I would say, regardless of the touchdown-interception ratio. Like, this this game doesn't paint a great picture there, but I think he played a lot better than that. Um like, Mac Jones, I think, is starting to show that he, at least, is not the problem. It is the things around him that are generally causing him to look not great. Uh, Cardinals defense coordinator Vance Joseph had a line last week. It sounded like him and uh, Matt Patricia had a little discussion after to uh, to clear the air. But there was a line ahead of the game, basically Vance Joseph saying, it looks like the offense is being called by a defensive coach. A lot of screens, a lot of quick game, a lot of stuff to like get you into second, third, and manageable. And that was a big part of the Patriots offense. Again, several passes behind the line of scrimmage, a lot of screen game. But again, there was a you know four-vert seam route to Hunter Henry in crunch time or you know in the second half when the Patriots needed to create some explosive plays. I, I think there can be a little bit more of that, a little bit more aggressiveness from this New England offense. I don't think that their receiving core, I, I don't think it's dire. Like, I don't think it's a terrible group with Kendrick no. Bourne and Nelson Aguilar. It's and, fine. Uh, Taekwon Thornton and the you know the the speed that they that they have there, so I'm curious to see if the Patriots can be a little bit more aggressive down the stretch here. They're seven and six, and right now just at the bottom of that AFC playoff picture. Eighteen pressures in this game from their quote unquote edge rusher trio of Dietrich Wise, um, Josh Uche, and Matthew Judon. 
Yeah. Those guys, all three of those guys this season are getting a ton of pressure. Dietrich Wise has turned into this every down player, having been a situational guy for the rest of his career. And as a collective, as a group, that three are a big reason why the Patriots rank, I think, third, maybe fourth in pressure rate this season. Like that defense is going to cause you problems from a pass rushing standpoint. Yeah, Josh Uche in particular has had, he's found the quarterback, what, 10 times? He's got 10 sacks now, is it? I forget what our exact numbers are, but he had three the other night, and he's been one of the best pass rushers in the NFL since about week nine. Mm. So um, Uche, who was a guy that was a bit of a, he was a pass rush specialist in college. The Patriots are using him as a pass rush specialist. He's only played 37 snaps against the run this entire season, but now has 34 pressures, including, yes, 10 sacks by our numbers, pass rush grades up to 84.4. Uche was a guy that when he was coming out, um, similar win rate, pass rush win rate as Chase Young. He was yeah. like, when you looked at his win rates coming out of college, it was up in Bosa territory with Chase Young territory. The difference with Uche was he's, he's undersized compared to those guys. And he is not great against the run, right? He is a one And the sample size was so much smaller. Sample size was smaller. And he, yes, he was used at Michigan as more of a pass rush specialist. But he's coming to his own here and been a, just a huge weapon, I think, for the Patriots. This game also featured a concussion controversy. Um, did you see this, the Devontae, Devontae Parker, Parker thing? yeah. So Parker gets smacked, gets up, clearly woozy, wobbly, not himself. Um, immediately, his own receivers, the, the, the independent neurolog, you know, neurological spotter was out to lunch, didn't see this at all, left him in the game never took him out but they never ran a play right they were so they just but because up. his own did he see, uh, nelson Aguilar was losing his mind trying to get the play stopped because yeah, yeah. I, because Devonte parker was like not compass mentis so from the moment he saw it nelson Aguilar was creating a massive storm to try and make them stop the play and get Aguilar off or get a uh, Devonte parker off the field the nfl and nflpa have said they're going to open a joint investigation figure out what the hell happened to which Devontae Parker himself has replied like, yes, when you find out, please tell me. Because I just, huge credit to Aguilar for being the guy to recognize it and take it seriously enough to be like, guys, we have to stop the game right now. This, this guy has taken this hit to the head. Parker himself, obviously recognizing the seriousness of it after the fact, you could easily imagine an NFL player being like, I mean, you know, I wanted to play on. Like, I was good. It's fine. I just had my bell rung. You know, the old school stuff. But Parker clearly realizes this is a serious thing, and Aguilar was the guy to recognize the thing. And then, obviously, the NFL, after this Tua mess earlier in the season, needs to figure out why they still are making a giant mess of this. Yeah, I was uh, one eye on and off the game at that particular junction, and I thought I thought it was the spotter that pulled him off. Oh. I didn't realize the other stuff that had happened at yeah, that point. So. all Aguilar. Um, so, New England moves to 7-6. and six. Arizona falls to 4-9. and nine. Go check out the PFF NFL Daily. We haven't pushed that in a while, by the way. Just a reminder that, you know, short form. You pushed it like four minutes ago. I mentioned it, but I haven't, like, really pushed it. I haven't, like, you know, okay. really emphasized the importance of subscribing to the PFF NFL Daily or checking it out on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I haven't really emphasized it because that's short form, Sam and Steve. Yeah. Steve and Sam. Uh-huh. Right? Short form. Ten yeah. minutes. That's it. In and out. None of this prolonged banter that we have here. Just yeah. quick hitting. And so we cover that today, the Arizona Cardinals. Other news. Go check it out. Not pleasant news, but um, Mike Leach died, Mississippi State head coach. Um, I just wanted to mention this because there's a lot of amazing tributes 
to Mike Leach kicking around on the internet at the moment. Uh, Bruce Feldman has a great article about him. Uh, Chris Smart Football. Chris Brown. Chris Brown yep. has a great uh, piece about him. That's there's like a, his hero. Yeah, Mike there's Leach. a ton of yeah. threads on him that are amazing to go and read through on Twitter and stuff, and a load of videos you'll find from him. Just amazing character, and all of those threads and all of those articles are worth your time to read. I, I mean, I just wanted to echo the stuff that's been said about him. And also, you know, I'm not the biggest college football fan in the world. Uh, there's a lot of other people that like college a lot more than I do. But a lot of the offenses and a lot of the teams that I've enjoyed watching the most down the years have been these Mike Leach offenses where it's just it's a different system than most people are running. And, okay, the, the rest of the, the football world has kind of moved in his direction rather than the other way around. His offenses have still been these wild ones, like you know Graham How- Graham Graham Harrell, yeah Graham Harrell with Texas Tech, the like that run they had with those offenses where those guys, any quarterback that was being plugged in there, just put up absurd, mind blowing numbers. Um, just such a unique guy, such a fun offense to watch, and man, gone gone too soon. Yeah, just sixty one years old, um, Mike Leach. I mean, like a must listen interview at all times. You never knew what he was going to say. Yeah. Um, legitimate free thinker, both from um, just a life standpoint, but you know, in a, in a football sense, um, you know, we we talk a lot about you know, analytics says pass more and this and that, but like nobody's really pushed the needle, and, and he did right. He pushed mm-hmm. the needle to this. Hey, we're going to throw it eighty percent of the time, and and you'd see him on the sideline with his little note card because they had a handful of plays. Like he was yes. one of those guys that felt complicated, but it was really the same handful of plays, mm-hmm. and then they would just tag something and and like oh they're playing it this way we'll we'll, we'll just run it a a different way tag this one little route and that changes the play just enough to to you know to find an open receiver he did such a good job of teaching that system and like you said getting consistent production and endlessly drilling it so that everyone knows what they're doing just making it second nature to everybody like in a weird way it was throwback just transform like flipped the way you did it like you go back to those 60s lombardi teams in the nfl the 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 power sweep right like all we're going to do is is rep the the Packers sweep play until we execute it better than everybody trying to stop it and that's how we win we're not going to have anything complicated we're just going to run this over and over and over again and you won't be able to stop it we the football generally developed beyond a point where that can work you know everyone has practice time everyone can do too many different things and you can no longer gain the edge you used to simply by repping things and out executing the opposition well Leach said no I mean I'm I'm not going to do this the sweep but I'm going to do it by running pass plays and I'm going to execute you. We are going to rep it until we know these plays better than you do. And we're just going to beat you by execution. And he managed, he made that work at the college level in a way that like nobody else had managed to kind of successfully do for decades. And now you see, I mean, Cliff Kingsbury was one of his quarterbacks. Um, Graham Harrell, who you mentioned, uh, Dana Horgerson. You see a lot of people that came through the Mike Leach tree having a lot of success and you see all of his concepts in the NFL every single Sunday, mesh concepts and, and all of their, a lot of the air raid pass concepts after years of all oh, the air raid won't work and this and that. And maybe, you know, the full on pure air raid, throw the ball 80% of the time. Yeah, that you're not going to see that in the NFL, but you see all of the concepts all across the NFL. And, you know, Mike Leach, because he was um, inquisitive, right, tried to figure out what, what are smart people doing. And then he just kind of, you know, put his own spin on it. And, um, yeah, definitely gone too soon. So condolences to Mississippi State, Mike Leach, his whole family. Mm-hmm. That was sad this yeah. week. All right, what do we have next here, Sam? Well, there's no 
There's no uh, smooth transition from that, you know. There's no. Let me smoothly go to uh, the PFF NFL podcast being sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. See the site right there on YouTube, westernsouthern.com slash PFF. If you haven't checked it out yet, I suggest you check this out and the daily. That's your homework. Mm -hmm. Check them both out, westernsouthern.com slash PFF. What's next on our list? The autopsy for the Denver Broncos season, which is now past. They are one of the teams that have been eliminated officially after their latest disaster. Denver so, Broncos officially eliminated. We did this last week for Bears Denver. and Texans. Three and ten Broncos here. They so let's let's try to rewind, right? It's sometimes it's tough, right? Because we have all this new evidence. We have all this new stuff that has happened. But I always like to go back and say, what did we think? What was the story? Mm-hmm. The multi-year story for the Broncos was good roster, need better quarterback play. Need good a roster. quarterback, any quarterback. Need any quarterback. Preferably Aaron Rodgers. In the offseason, they were you know, going after Aaron Rodgers. Then they go after Russell Wilson. Um, they, had, they had gone through you know, Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke and all these other quarterbacks, but it was like, man, they got a good defense. They got this. Nathaniel Hackett comes in as the head coach, and Vic Fangio's out. And we just thought, okay, the quarterback's going to put them over the top. Now, the more I thought of it, the more I had some doubts. Mm. You know, I've been right and wrong about a lot of stuff. <laughs> I've been wrong about a lot of stuff this year. The, as the season drew closer, I thought that the Raiders, I started to believe more in the Raiders and believe less in the Broncos. Yeah. So the Broncos part, I got a little bit right. But again, I don't think anybody expected it to be this bad. Yeah, we, we'll talk about this a little bit with Mina coming up on the show. Um, I kind of did a full circuit on this analysis during the offseason. My initial reaction is, wow, great. Denver gets a quarterback, Russell Wilson. You team him up with that group of receivers, an offensive line that's fine. Uh, you know, the running backs that they have, like this will propel them immediately into contender status or at least be a very good team within that division and a playoff-bound team, certainly. And then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, like, I think the problems with Russell Wilson and the offense generally, um, the stuff that's been happening in, for years in Seattle, the, the let Russ cook thing, the blame apportioned to everybody else except Russ, the more I think or, or the more I thought that Russ is actually a bigger part of that than people think. And teaming him up with this completely different offense might not work as smoothly as everybody else thinks it will. And then by the time we got, like, just to the start of the season, I was like, you know what? Whilst that may be true, like, the difference between Russell Wilson and Drew Locke is so huge that that's the more important thing. Like, yeah. the fact that they are going from completely non-viable quarterback play to a guy who will be good, maybe not great, is more important than the fact that there may be meat left on the bone because of the way Russell Wilson plays the game. But ultimately, it's been so much worse than any of the negatives anybody was even thinking about it's Russell Wilson isn't the same guy anymore and they're trying to shoehorn him into an offense that doesn't suit him and the rest of the league has pivoted to things that cause him problems anyway and the supporting cast that we thought is so good has been injured and not really playing as well so like all of that put together is creating this like just unmitigated the disaster. lowest scoring team in the NFL right unmitigated disaster on offense yeah so there's a lot to it I don't want to spend a ton of time on the Broncos autopsy because I feel like we have discussed it a bunch but I think everything you said the the fit 
the offensive line, the injuries, the the playmaker injuries, right, at receiver. But from like a Russell Wilson standpoint, what's he, 33? Is he 34 yet? 34, I think. Now. He's in his age 33, 34-year-old season, and there has been some physical decline, right? There's just a little bit as far as his mobility, and I don't think his arm looks bad all the time. Early in the year, there was there were some issues where he's underthrown some passes, and it looked like there was a an arm strength issue. Long term, what do the Broncos do? Because that's the other thing we've said here. Like they're stuck with him for whatever that's worth. They have they have Russell Wilson for the next four years, unless they're very creative and willing to burn a lot of money. Mm-hmm. They they have Russell Wilson. So to me, at the end of this season. I don't know that it's fully a Nathaniel Hackett question because he could still be the coach. I don't know, but I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna look to somebody that's had success with Russ, because when you look at what Pete Carroll has done with Geno Smith and Seattle and the infrastructure that they've had there, I think you you have to acknowledge that they knew enough about Russell Wilson to to maximize him, right? To get the most out of him, whatever that was, um, how they built their offense, and I, I would assume Broncos leadership wants to you know go down that path right get somebody that's had success with russell wilson get him in the building because if he doesn't do well it doesn't matter i mean they have a such a good defense this year yeah and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter in denver because they can't score points they can't do anything yeah the offense has been so bad that none of that matters and and the it's really the story of Denver season. Like, it, you know, sometimes you look at these teams, and it's like, what went wrong? You know, a few different things. Like, what went wrong here is one thing. They traded the farm for Russell Wilson. They extended him to a giant contract, and it stinks. Russell Wilson's bad. It doesn't work in the offense. The offense doesn't score any points. It barely moves the ball. Therefore, the team is awful, even though they have a really good defense because you can't survive in the NFL that way anymore. All right. Do you have anything else to add? Well, simply – what happens going forward because like you said they are stuck with him they're not they can't get away from this in the next couple of years so Russell Wilson is going to be the quarterback at which point it becomes incumbent on everybody to figure out how to get better than is currently happening out of this people are sending me uh Nathaniel Hackett Doug Marone connections what I don't know what they're sending me well Denver's three and ten they're officially eliminated and I, about to ship their number two overall pick to oh Seattle. Gosh, that's like the extra kick, right? Yep. The number two pick. Mm-hmm. Do you re- would you I know it's easy to regret the decision. Was it the wrong move? Like I know that I know the answer. We got the answer so far. <laughs> would you do it again? So knowing what you knew at the time. Because you don't know you're gonna be this bad. You don't know you're gonna pick number two. Did did he have a no-trade clause? Did he have to waive his no-trade clause to go to Denver? Was he one of those quarterbacks? I don't remember, but I do remember there was like a list yeah. of Russ. Because to me, places he was trading for Russell Wilson was not an egregious call. I think you should have expected, as everybody did, that this would have worked to some degree or other. Extending him is the mistake. Now... People will point out that in order to get the trade done, they had to extend him because Russ wasn't going to go anywhere without new money and blah, blah, blah. Now, I don't know how true that is, or I, 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 we should have found out if he had the no-trade clause in there. But like, if that was the thing that was going to determine whether or not you could get this trade done, like, it might have been a bridge too far. Because, look, it's all risk, right? All of, all of these giant moves throughout the NFL, there's a, the, the the reason you don't just trade everything is because there's a degree of risk involved somewhere, and you have to offset the risk with whatever the 
collateral is you're trading away. So, you know, you trade for Russell Wilson. There's a limited degree of risk in there. Now, it turns out it's bigger than people thought it was, but, you know, you understand that. But at the point where you're handing him extra money for no reason other than he wants extra money and you want to get it done, you're just adding to the risk. Like, there's no additional payoff at that point because what you want is Russell Wilson. And trading for Russell Wilson secures Russell Wilson. Adding money to the, to the thing, to the deal, is just adding risk to the, 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 the whole shebang. Like, yeah. that is the mistake because now they're stuck with it. If they just traded for him, okay, it would be a bitter pill to swallow and you would, you know, you'd have burned. But now it's being tied to him and not mitigating any of the risk that maybe yeah. he did because he had shown signs of decline, right? Were there some warning signs? Yes. Uh, coming into the season, Russell Wilson was ranked like 19th or 20th in the NFL since the middle of 2000. Wilson did have a no trade clause, so that's yeah. an important part of this. So we waived that. Uh, but he, would, he had ranked 19th, 20th in our, in our right. grades since the middle of 2020. But meaning essentially that they could, that Russell Wilson could hold that over them and be like, if you don't give me new money, I'm not yeah. going. That makes it very difficult because now he has the leverage in the negotiation. You have to make the trade the way they did it. You then have to give him the extra money. And now that's a shit ton of risk for a guy who could do what's just happened. Yeah, the money's the tough one because it, it, if, it, uh, if you take the money out of it, you're coming from an NFL where Tom Brady goes to the Bucs and wins a Super Bowl. And Matthew Stafford goes to the Rams and wins a Super Bowl, right? These top eight to ten quarterbacks, people that are in that range can go to new places and have success. The things that are warning signs about Russell Wilson was the recent decline, his style of play perhaps, the, p- the potential that Seattle created a, a better environment for him and that you have to try to replicate that. And then all on top of that, like you said, all of the money that they went with. Mm. Right. I also think there seems to have been a fairly fundamental um, lack of understanding about how to make Russell Wilson work. You know, like if you're go- okay, yeah. you're, you're kind of stuck with it. This is the price. You pay the price or you don't get him. That appears to be the situation we're in here, both in terms of trade collateral and the extension. So if you're committing to that, aware of how much risk that is now because of how much you're tied to him, the coach had better have a very clear plan and understanding of how to maximize what it is you're getting with Russell Wilson. Well, that's what I'm Yeah, because there was so many rumblings come out of Seattle like, we can't really let him cook. You can't trust him in the drop back pass right. game. You don't want him running quick game 15 times a game. You don't want him doing this and that. But when you what you do want him doing, he's really good at. And you can and he, see that in their execution. Yeah. we got to run the ball X amount of times to set up the play action and you know, run those deeper concepts. And when teams take those away, we we probably have to, you know, lean into the run a little bit more because so, he's not going to quick game the, you know, the, the defense to death or any of that stuff. It's like when you, get those, when you get those draft picks and either it's a sort of unexpectedly high draft pick or a team trades up for somebody that's an, and it's an unusual player. You know, it's like a weird athlete or a hybrid guy or a guy that doesn't fit into positions naturally or whatever. If you're doing that, you better have a really good idea of how you're going to use him. Otherwise, it can be a disaster. Like if you just take this guy and think, yeah, we'll just plug him into a conventional spot and that'll work. Like that to me feels like bad process. Like this. If, you, if you're bringing in Russell Wilson, given everything we knew about Russell Wilson coming into the season, which by the way is not saying that we knew this was coming. It's just we know there's something unusual about Wilson. It's not like trading for Aaron Rodgers, right? That, that, that's the important thing. It isn't like trading for Rodgers and knowing that you can plug Aaron Rodgers into any offense in the NFL and it will function well. But he's also worked with Nathaniel Hackett, too. Right. 
So it's not like that. It's trading for a guy that's different and unusual. And if you don't have a very clear understanding of how to maximize that, like that feels like an issue. Yeah, I, I thought disappointing this year. In my head, when I was predicting maybe disappointing, I was like, some you know, some team in the AFC is going to win eight games that that you think is going to be good. I thought the Broncos could be that team. Right now, they're sitting at three, so way more disappointing than um, than we thought was even possible. All right, man, we want to get to uh, we'll get to explain the grade in a second, but it's never too early to play holiday music, and it's never too early to start thinking about gifts, whether it's for a friend or the friends in your pants. <laughs> You can make this a season to be jolly with Manscaped. That line gets me every time. Yeah. Do your little drummer boy a favor and use the lawnmower 4.0 to avoid another silent night in the bedroom. Then add in Manscaped's top-of-the-line shower products to have the people thinking, all I want for Christmas is you. Santa cares about his sack, and so should you. Look nice when you get naughty by going to manscapes.com slash pffnfl for free shipping and 20% off that's right manscaped.com slash pff nfl free shipping 20 percent off the manscaped platinum package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all he has everything needed to help you deck the halls from face to balls you get all that mm-hmm. just in time for mistletoe season the platinum package 4.0 sitting under the tree is guaranteed to put anyone in the holiday spirit and for the perfect stocking stuffer add in the brand new body buffer an incredible body scrubber that makes exfoliating easy and a lot cleaner than the old loofah. Can you use that on your head, the body buffer? Hey, why not? Save 20% off plus free shipping by going to manscapes.com slash PFFNFL. Be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all from Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Mm-hmm. As I was uh, watching UFC the other night, yeah, UFC expert, um, seeing Manscaped all over the place, you know, seeing our friends at DraftKings and everything, I'm like, wait, we're just... We're just like UFC. They're just like a lower vet level version of the PFF NFL podcast. The UFC, I think, is the peak of commercialization in particularly American culture. Like they are able to attach a sponsor to anything, you know? Yeah. Like the PFF, the ad read brought to you by Western Southern. You know, that's, that's kind of like they will anything. Like the microphone stand brought to you by Manscaped. It's all over the place. Everything, everything in a UFC event. It's all over the mat. Has, it's, you know. Has a sponsor attached to it somehow. This decision's brought to you by. Yeah. yeah. The Steve Segway brought to you by, like, the, everything. Yeah. It's I mean, amazing. We could do that. We could exploit ourselves like that. Well, why don't you, uh, we, will, we will attach your sponsor name to anything we do here. Just send us an email, nflpodcast.pff.com. Tell us what you'd like to have your brand attached to. We'll do it right now. We'll do it. Yes. This Sell cup. Us. Right? Right, out. right now, it's got PFF written on it. It's even an old laptop. logo. Laptop? I will put your brand on this mug right here and drink out of it. My iPad. We put a put Steve's a iPad right on there. that causes the buzzing sound in the studio and makes Is noises. Like we will put a brand on that. You know, it's not me causing the buzzing. Your tinnitus brought to you by whoever. NFL podcast at pff.com right there. If you want to uh, get your brand on the show. All right, let's get to explain the grade. Um, I'm sure PSF will have me a low grade for that, but uh, I'll keep it rolling. Look at that. Look at that. I, didn't, I didn't know if they'd have it or not. Mike's on top of this better than Tyler is. We, yeah. Huh? Uh, boom. That was, didn't even give him a warning. That was great. Let's explain uh, Justin Herbert's grade here, Sam. Okay. Justin Herbert goes 39 for 51 attempts for 367 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. That's a pass rating of 102.3. And, of course, had the undying love of one Chris Collinsworth on the broadcast all game long. But he ended up with a 65.1 PFF grade, 67 point something as a passer. Why so low, Stephen? 
You take it. No. That's you. No, I'm you do up. it. You do it. I'm, I'm the read guy. You're the explain guy. All right. So uh, a couple of the reasons. Let's start with the good. I mean, Herbert's first touchdown uh, or his touchdown was awesome to Mike Williams. Yeah, first back, and only. First and only <laughs> in the back of the end zone. I meant like first big-time throw. Mm-hmm. Second big-time throw was that little half-roll throwback. He got a ton of credit for both of those throws. Those were fantastic. The, the zero interceptions, we did have him – with a turnover-worthy play. I think it was his first, one of his first passes. Um, he throws it late along the sideline. He's got a receiver kind of veer into the sideline. He throws it back into the leverage of the defender. Um, just kind of goes off the defender's arm, wasn't looking. So we got that as a turnover-worthy play there. For Herbert, that didn't show up in the box score. Um, the other thing, yes, he had only, what, 12 incompletions on the 51 dropbacks. What was his to- final sack total? Five? Four. Four times sacked. At least two of those clearly on him, and I believe the third one probably on him as well. We've got an unblocked defender where he's supposed to throw hot behind him. Um, it did come in quick, but it looked like his man. Um, the other two, uh, two of the sacks, he's just holding the ball too long, right? There was yeah, one. Two of them are st- egregious. Two of them are really bad. I mean, one, he's literally just sitting in the pocket and waits till he gets sacked. Um, a lot of the times, those are the ones they call coverage sacks. And that's true, right? There's something yeah, in coverage still, taking away still the throw. have an option to not get sacked. Right. But when we're grading this, we're saying, okay, there's a better option than taking the sack, which is throw the ball away or whatever. And you have to have that internal clock. And these ones also, like sometimes you get a coverage sack where once the pressure arrives, it arrives all at once and you genuinely can't get anywhere. Like these were coverage sacks where the pressure only came from like one guy at the end, at which point you can still get out of it. You know what I mean? Not, not necessarily avoid that guy. But you can move in a way as to which you can get rid of the ball. Like, it's not the same as the entire pocket collapsing in on you and all happens all at once. And at that point, all you can do is eat it. Um, so, the, so while there weren't a lot of incompletions necessarily, he had a couple of missed throws in there as well, but there weren't a ton of incompletions. There's probably, uh, there's at least two sacks and likely three sacks that are on him that are showing up in his pressure grade, that are showing up in his overall passing grade as well. And then at the end of the game, he did drop a snap. Yeah, right um, that didn't destroy the grade but uh, that is also baked in there as well he did drop a snap did and quickly quickly recovered it but as we've said before with fumbles where we blame the player for the fumbles you don't know where that's going to bounce we have to right. you know separate the fact that he fumbled that's bad he recovered it got, gets a little credit back for that but he did fumble and that by the way would have been as disastrous of a fumble um as it gets there yeah. so um he did have, you know, I, I didn't see the exact uh, yak. 204 out of 367. How much? 204, 204. yards after so, the catch. So sometimes we don't use that. Again, we're not using yak against the quarterback. Right? Simply to, to explain, to illustrate how the yardage came about. Yes. And so like his so average depth of target was under six. When you see 367, yeah. your mind says he threw for 367 yards. And all we're saying is, in what he did that easily could have been 300 right or that easily could have been 325 or whatever it is but the difference was there was a couple plays where you know his receivers did a lot of the work and that's helping paint that picture of greatness with that 367 yards yeah his average at the target was under six which is really low so much of the plays he had in this game were just like insta passes which again it's not you're not like downgrading him for it you're not saying well that's bad inherently what you're saying is this is a play you expect most quarterbacks in the NFL to make. Like, it's an instant. It's not even a read. It's the design of the offensive play. You drop back. It's going there. I fire it out. It's in his hands. 
I didn't make a mistake. If I missed the throw, it would get downgraded. It would get worse. Um, but it's not something you get like a ton of credit for because you expect a quarterback to do that. And then Austin Eckler, for example, like Eckler had what? 59 yards, 85 of which came after the catch. So like he's being thrown to way behind the line of scrimmage every time and is making something happen. The one other play I want to highlight was a a back shoulder that he threw to Mike Williams that really wasn't there. Mike Williams was um, pushed to the sideline almost immediately off the route. Herbert throws it anyway, throws it into the leverage of the defensive back. And it takes an incredible play by Mike Williams climbing over the corner to make the play. That was for 23 yards and one where we would say, hey, that's far more the receiver earning those yards than the quarterback. Yeah. Right. So the last point, by the way, to make is that, like, he didn't grade badly. Yeah, I mean, it was a good game. Yeah. It was a good game for Herbert. I understand. He was under some pressure. Again, we mentioned earlier some of of it. He was responsible for. Some of it was his own doing. um, But – there were a lot of good plays as far as getting the ball out of his hands, getting it to where it needed to go. There was that that out route that Chris was raving about on the show that was on the podcast, that, um, during, on the TV yeah. broadcast that was great. Um, it actually reminded me of an early, some of the early Herbert games where if you take his best four throws. He always is going to get a lot of style points because it looks amazing. Are you calling him maybe like a social media quarterback? I'm not, 100% not. I would never do that. For I would, Herbert, I, I would again, never like, be that ridiculous. Herbert grades well for us, right? Yeah. He, his, what he's good at shows up in our grading. And but he's but, also like it's just it's going to look better because he's got a cannon and he's a giant. You yeah. know, the statue, like everything about him, looks amazing. So when something goes well, you're gonna be more wowed than when Brock Purdy drops back and hits an out route, and you're like, ah, it's kind of, you know, you know what I mean? It just looks better. Yeah. Like the. When you go and watch, in particular college, you see you see this all the time. If you go and watch a practice for a college game, and they have like a pro, a, a, like a pro prospect quarterback, and then they have two guys that aren't, you know, and you watch the three of them throw consecutively, you can see the guy that's the pro prospect because he's bigger, stronger, and has a better arm. And like, oh, it just comes out of his hands different, yeah. right? But if it's going to the same place at the same time, does it make any difference? No, but it looks better for the football team, no. right? So, like. Herbert is always going to get that because he's got the size, he's got the cannon, and it's going to look amazing when it works. So Herbert had a good game. I think the grade reflects that. Yep. And I would say that um, several of his negative plays didn't show up in the traditional box score because some of the sacks were on him more than others, and there was a fumble in there as well. All right, so that's how we were dumb this week. Let's get into another email that tells us how we're dumb. Oh, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's... So this somebody one came in. attacking us. This one came in from somebody called Rob Sweeney, who I think at this point is Nick Wright's burner email. Uh, it's the only way. Of oh explaining yeah, this it. definitely sounds like Nick Wright. So, uh, first of all, I want to preface this with the fact that I'm a big fan. Been a podcast listener for seven plus years, all the way back to the old intro music that Sam hated. I've been a PFF elite subscriber, and I understand the grading value, etc. But it's always a but. But the level of hate thrown Mahomes' way in the pod this season specifically is approaching Skip Bayless LeBron levels. Steve has not started talking about a single Chiefs game without leading with however many turnover-worthy throws Mahomes has. There's constant mention of wide-open receivers, but no mention of how Mahomes moves around the pocket, extends the play, looks off a linebacker, which is the whole reason the receiver is open. Uh, There was a bit going around that people will talk about how great Juju Justin Watson, Sky Moore, etc., are instead of giving Mahomes credit. Steve actually does this bit, but it appears he's serious. 
Uh, he made one of the best and coolest plays of the year, and Sam leads with saying it wasn't necessary, which is basically the hater motto for any pickup basketball player who gets toasted by a cool move. The reason he didn't throw it normal was because he just stiff-armed a defender uh, who would have tackled him if he slowed slash squared around, and another was in his face who would have batted it by the time he squared and threw. Not to mention that Rabonas do have a point, so the defender isn't ready to block it, so even the comparison was just hating. Again, long-time fan. But Eric is gone. You don't have to have haters just to balance things out. His words, not mine. Did he give a rest in peace for Eric? He didn't. The, the, the late Eric Eager, Dr. Yeah. Eric Eager. So, it's nice to be reminded just how bad we are sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I'd say there's kernels of truth in there. Yes. So, but, look. I, but, I, but, as we've, because uh, I read a lot of the comments and everything, hmm. right? Like the... There are people who say, like, you never say bad things. You never say the bad things this guy does. It's like, we literally just did. Yeah. Or you never say the good things. Like, we literally just did. You're only hearing what you want to hear. Right. I do think it's useful sometimes to be reminded of how things can come across because it doesn't always get... Oh, you get, sounded like a big-time hater on that. And I was aware cool of it. Play. I was, you know, yeah. saying that during the time. And right? I definitely highlighted turnover-worthy plays for Mahomes this particular weekend because it was part of the story yeah. of the game. But So, you know, there are times where the thing doesn't get received the way you intended it necessarily, and sometimes it is good to be aware of that and to potentially redress things. Now, look, one thing, not to go all Ariel Hawani and pick the email apart for the next hour and a half, but Rabonas don't have a point. They're a total waste of time. They're there for style points and to look cool. They have no purpose whatsoever. If you can get a Rabona off, you can get a regular cross off just fine. So that point, I think, is absolutely legit. And I also think that I'm not asking Mahomes to, like, you know, run to the right, stiff arm a guy, and then stop, square his shoulders, and throw that way. I'm asking him to, like, run this way and then just, you know, turn his shoulders the way normal people do. they're doubling down. I'm just saying I maintain that that particular throw was style points over substance. Now, the earlier points he's making, I think, are fair. Because they're about me? No, not so much that one. I don't even remember how much you've been banging on about his crappy receivers. I don't think I've done it all but, year. Anyway, you know, there is – this is where evaluating Mahomes gets very difficult because he is special and he does weird things and he is unique and there's nobody else that plays the game the way he does. Even, you know, Josh Allen is unique in a slightly different way even though they have sort of slightly almost identical freaky touchdowns where they get out into right field, make a guy miss, and then like flick the ball in a, in a – ridiculous manner to a guy that's now wide open because of it like he is able to manipulate defenses and create space that isn't there for other people but he also knows now like he leans into the no look thing right because he can because what the hell like it's fun but when you're evaluating like how good something is you know what pff grading is trying to do like how well did this guy actually play the game i i don't think you should get style points like, I don't think he should be upgraded for the fact that he threw it no look when he could have thrown it conventionally. I don't think it did anything, right? Unless... I don't know that Sunday's play is the best example for that. I think it is. I think that play is a perfect example of you could have thrown that like any normal person that would have been the same play and nobody would be talking about it. Now... I, I disagree because I think you... He had to draw... He was drawing the coverage defender drawn in. anyway. It's not like that guy... It's not like if he starts to think about throwing it like a normal no, human. No, because he drew him from a, from a condensed area, right? Uh -huh. The guy was like a couple yards beyond the line of scrimmage. Mahomes was just behind the line of scrimmage. It was a pretty quick 
That yeah, guy still has quick, to go with him. It was a instantaneous decision to Literally, get Literally, all you're asking him to do is instead of looking at you and going to the side, just look at the guy and throw it normally. Like, it's exactly the same play. We're giving him credit for the style points, not for the play he made. Which, by the way, was good. Like, the play he made is... Yeah, good play. He, yeah. He evaded a guy in the pocket. Awesome too, positive. Yes. He then finds a receiver and connects for what and becomes a touchdown. Positive. Like it's a very good play, top to bottom. But to me, it doesn't become like the greatest play of all time just because he didn't look and pitched it sideways. And that I think is where you get into trouble trying to articulate what Mahomes is doing because everybody wants to talk about we've never seen this before. It's incredible. Like okay, yeah, agreed. We have never seen this before. And it is highly weird, incredible, and unusual. But there's a lot of times where I don't know if it's actually better than other things. I have a slightly different view on it. And so what I would say is, let me start by saying, Nick Wright. (laughs) Patrick Mahomes is the MVP of the league this year. I I believe Joe Burrow is closing in in the race. I believe that Jalen Hurts has a case. And depending on how you weigh things, I think Josh Allen has a case no. I think he has a case the case is difficult because Josh Allen has directly affected their losses yes. right he's been the culprit in their three losses but the MVP race I like to look at it like the totality of all your plays and all that stuff I think Mahomes is the most valuable player in the NFL this year mm-hmm. both from a on-field production standpoint and from the storyline of we know how good Tyreek Hill is we see how he's transformed Tua in that offense yep and Mahomes lost him and maintained the best offense in the league right just that Mahomes is he's the guy right um and Nick Wright Rob Sweeney also made that point Nick Wright actually made that point on Twitter the other day I didn't think Sunday was the best time to do it when Mahomes was throwing the ball to the defense and letting the terrible Broncos offense back into the game Mm. wasn't the right time to make the point but the the point's correct I believe here's where I struggle and here's the disconnect with Mahomes it's kind of like when I used to always talk about Tim Tebow and criticize Tebow. I would always preface it by like, I think Tebow's a great guy, but this football thing he does, I don't think is as good as whatever. I think Mahomes is awesome, but I think the tough disconnect is stepping into Andy Reid in his offense and his situation because Mahomes is awesome and adds all this other stuff to the table, right? Off-script plays, he plays well within structure, He doesn't take negative plays. He never gets sacked. And all these things are awesome. But he also has the best screen game in the NFL. He also has this offense. If you watch the game on Sunday, every pass that was somewhat designed or a check down or whatever it was, was going for like 10, 15, 20 yards. Every time he was throwing beyond 10 yards, he was missing his throws. Just in that particular game. There are certain games where Mahomes plays at a level where I think he should have you know, let's just use passer rating as an example. He should have like a 70 passer rating, right? But he actually comes out with like 100, right? Because the rest of the offense, I'm not saying the players are special or anything like that, but the design, the screen game, all of it creates offense as well. And that's why the Chiefs offense has been so good. Because your quarterback, your facilitator is outstanding, can make special plays and can can run the offense extremely well. And also when he doesn't do a great job, on plays that are more dependent on him, the offense picks up the slack. And the totality of that is, using passer rating as an example, he's over 100 every single year of his career, right? And even last year when he had only a 75 passing grade. 
and the EPA is higher than any you know quarterback in the league if you attach it to a quarterback, and it's best in the league for this team. So that's that's my my not my struggle with Mahomes is to try to say he's very good. He's our highest graded quarterback over the last five years, right? We give him proper credit in the grading system, but then on top of that, he's getting other help that makes him look that much more special. And and that's why the Chiefs are so good and they're, you know, dominant and, you know, in the mix as the best team in the league every single year. I also think that there is a tendency sometimes to focus. Like it's very difficult. There's so many things to talk about. There's so many areas you can zoom in on and simply adding to the chorus of, oh, Mahomes is incredible. We've never seen this before. Feels like easy, cheap. There's nothing you're not adding to the discussion by doing that. So I think by focusing sometimes on, hey, that play did look amazing, but was it actually any different to a guy who just throws it like a normal human? Um, maybe you do end up focusing too too negative and not giving him proper credit for the stuff. So I am happy to admit that I've probably skewed too far on the negative side of what to focus on with Mahomes. And going forward, I shall endeavor to actually focus on the genuinely incredible stuff he does as opposed to the style points stuff. And uh, I will remain unbiased and properly credit him when I feel he deserves credit and properly say there's luck involved when I feel like there's luck involved. Huh. Okay. And, okay, I'll lean lean into the good more with Mahomes. Right. How's that? Fine. So thank you, Dick Wright, (laughs) for your email. Uh, Second email from Dylan Lund. Uh, I'm going to be long-winded on this one too, huh? Oh, good. Hi, Sam and Steve. Generally like the content. You're not going to read the whole one. It's, right? not as, uh, it's not as good as the last one. Just generally like Generally. It. Well, he's just using your words. I really Fundamentally, enjoy... generally, the content is good. Really enjoy the advanced stats, but I have a few things that I hope you can shine a light on. Uh, so I have two things that I wanna, want you to try and tell me why I'm wrong. Number one, you guys at PFF take your grades as gospel, and that makes sense. It's your brand. However, even when you grade every player in every play, the grade is always subjective. Yes, you have data that says what kinds of plays are a one or a two or whatever, but at some point, a human has to decide that, meaning that every grade is 100% subjective. The problem with that is when your priors are about a player come out in the grade. For example, uh, a few episodes ago, you were explaining Justin Fields' grade and said something along the lines of, Fields takes a read option for 66 yards to the house. What would Kirk Cousins do in that situation? Not take it for 66 yards. You have to have the context that they would literally never run Kirk Cousins on a read option. And using that kind of mindset as a measuring stick makes your grades even more subjective. Number two, based on my assessment that all grades are subjective, as long as you take every grade with a grain of salt, the grades are really good at telling you what happened. But they're almost useless in regards to why it happened. For example, there's not a stat or a grade or any data point that can explain why Geno Smith has played at the level he's played at this year. So there you go. Tell me why I'm wildly wrong. Still appreciate the work of the pod is entertaining, even though you literally hate my favorite team, the Vikings. Thanks, Dylan. Okay, Dylan. Let's, uh, let's unpack this a little bit. Let's start at the end. Okay. Do you hate the Vikings? No. Okay. Next. Uh, the, okay, let's go back to the beginning then. Taking the grades as gospel. <laughs> so I feel like our Justin Fields description of the 66-yarder, would Kirk Cousins do this? That's not necessarily the grading mentality. It's our explanation of it, right? Like the graders not like, watch this play. How would Kirk Cousins do with it, right? The graders actually going in and saying, how good is this play? How good is this part? How good is this burst? How, you know, you made this guy miss, right? Um, so let, let me speak to the subjective nature of the grades, right? In 
theoretically, they're, they're subjective. As is a yard. Somebody somewhere determined that we're going to capture movement on the field at the yard level, not say like feet or centimeters, right? They just made up a, a number, right? Somebody decided we're going to track tackles. And we're going to very, very subjectively <laughs> determine who actually made the tackle on a play and who got the assist. That is very subjective, not because it's like a stat that they pulled out of thin air, which makes sense, right? I want to know who made the tackle on the play. They made up the stat once upon a time, and then they charged an official scorer from 32 different places to subjectively put tackles you know, into the stat sheet. So theoretically, we're all working with subjective data here. Other than like who wins and who loses. It's pretty objective. Mm -hmm. So I think what what I would say to that is it's not Sam's subjectivity or Steve's subjectivity. It's you would call it PFF's subjectivity, because we are working from a rubric where Steve and Sam have been trained up to see the game through the same eyes as much as possible and say, when you see this, it equals 0.5. It equals a plus one. And and I'm not the only one reviewing the game. There's other people reviewing, and if there's question marks there's a gray area and a lot of times it's the gray area to try to sort it out it's like let's go back and see all the times we gave a play like this a plus one should it be a one should it be a 0.5 and you you come to the conclusion so it's a rubric it's pff's opinion fine there's some level of subjectivity to it but overall it's an objective rubric that we're trying to apply and then to test whether or not it's good the two things i would say is if you go back in hindsight most plays that are positively graded are good for your team. Negative plays are bad for your team. And overall, most of the stats, pretty consistent year to year. Those are like two tests that I think pass the sniff test that our subjective, objective process works. Yeah, I have a few points I want to make. Um, number one, we don't take the grades as gospel. I, oh, that's a good I point. would hope that anybody that listens to this podcast or has listened to it for any period of time would know that. For example, just in the last couple of days right i do the offensive line rankings every week detroit has had a top 10 offensive line every single week of the year but if you look at overall grade they're lower than that if you look at pass blocking win rate type of stuff they're lower than that you have to take the grading and add in the context of the offensive system and the fact that they are very one uh, they're very weirdly slanted in terms of having good tackles bad interior and they've been dealing with a bunch of injuries so the in the interior hasn't been the interior for much of the year so the offensive line rankings does not directly connect to what the grading says immediately right second thing lane johnson lane johnson has been the best right tackle in the nfl this year but if you look at just the overall grade the weighting on run blocking versus pass blocking is it's a thing that you get to decide yourself essentially right how much do you value run blocking how much do you value pass protection how much you value each one of those is going to change what your ranking would be on an individual tackle and so lane johnson might not finish the year as the number one graded right tackle but he's been the best right tackle in the nfl because of that added context that every single play they move away from him and leave him one-on-one on an island. He has the toughest assignment of any tackle in the league, and he's still only given up like seven pressures this year, right? So we don't take the grades as gospel, and I would like to think that we do a reasonable enough job of conveying that on this podcast and explaining where and why. Number two, subjectivity is not a vice in the grading. In fact, I would argue it's the strength of the grading for two reasons. One, like you said, literally every data point you can think of except the score is 
subjective. The yardage thing is not the one I would have leaned into, but fine. Tackling, I think, is a good one. Drops are a good one. Did he drop it? Seems very black and white. Okay, but what, what, what about the plays when it isn't, right? What about the plays where a guy gets his hand in there and knocks it out? And now, was that a drop or is that a defensive pass breakup, right? Sometimes it's close. Sometimes it's borderline. Sometimes some guy is sitting there and has to go, crap, which one of these boxes do I tick on this play? That one. That's a drop subjective completely so even the objective data points that you think are subjective and you hear a lot of the time like pff's really good with the data but not with the grades it's like it's the same process it's the same subjectivity why how can we do one and not the other anyway then you get to the actual subjectivity of the grading right objective is christian darasaw's man got the sack therefore christian darasaw gave up the sack subjective is well, hang on, the quarterback actually moved and undid his leverage, and that means that you can't charge Christian Darrisaw for that. There's not a data point in the NFL. There's not a, 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 a stat. There's nothing you can apply that gets you that context back except for a dude going through and subjectively saying, hang on, this is something that adds to the context. This changes the grade. This adjusts what you think of that play, and that is a strength of it. Now, the point you made is good. You have to make sure everybody's seeing it the same way and it's done to a framework. It can't just be, you know, 10 guys just going, frameworks are good. Right. It can't just a be 10 guys point. arbitrarily yes. deciding randomly on every given play. Everybody has to be trying to see it the same way. But once the subjectivity is applied using a framework, it's actually the most powerful aspect of the grades. It's why PFF grading predicts sacks better than sacks predict sacks. It's why PFF grading and PFF war predicts quarterback performance like the pff grading has been proven statistically to be about as powerful a predictive tool as you can get for anything because of the subjectivity not the subjectivity is like the weakness that's undermining the entire grading process <sighs> did you have a third point yeah but I'll, I'll i'm done for the moment that was well done thank you i mean and that kind of makes the um the next point about geno smith right which was there is no stat or grade that could have predicted Geno Smith this, this year. I agree. I mean, I agree. There's probably not a whole lot of scouts that would have predicted it or <coughs> people outside of Seattle's building that would have predicted <laughs> Maybe it. Maybe right? not even. I mean, Pete Carroll's the most positive guy. He was talking about going 17-0 and 0 this year. So. He was also talking about Drew Locke being in a like, neck-and-neck competition with him. Maybe he is. <laughs> Maybe Drew Locke is. Maybe Drew you know, Locke's also an all-pro. Maybe they're going to let Geno walk and just go with Drew Locke next year. You know? I mean... Yeah. Uh, so as you said, there's a lot of predictive power in PFF grades. Not every single one of them, not all of them in isolation, but there's predictive power in our data, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't, but again, not everything's perfect. There's, there's no data point that's perfectly going to predict everything. So like when, when I talk about modeling for the draft and all that stuff, if, if we say the NFL is 50, 50%, if you create something that's 60%, just on a hit rate, however you define that, that's a huge win, but you're still going to lose 40% of those bets. But that is a win over time. So it's trying to make your decision-making even better. And PFF grading, data points, however you use those and combine them, have some level of predictive power. And also, yeah, as you said, is there a data point that could have predicted Geno Smith's breakout? Probably not. But we did predict Cameron Wake based off like a 200-snap sample size where he was amazing, outperforming Joey Porter and looking like he should be an every-down starter and the best pass rusher on the team. All of a sudden, Cameron Wake gets given the opportunity to be 
a full-time starter and becomes arguably the best edge rusher of his generation or certainly one of the top two or three, right? Like the grading has predicted an awful lot of breakouts by guys. Now, that doesn't mean it's 100%, right? We were lamenting earlier the, the lack of a similar breakout by Jonathan Grenard for the Houston Texans, right? But it does have predictive power and it can predict things going forward. And again, it's not football is so complicated that it's, it's almost never going to be one for one. Like you have to, there's context, there's confounding factors, there's all these different things you have to add in, which is again why we never just take the grade as gospel and say this is therefore. So, you know. Yeah. I mean, so the, the one last point I want to make on the subjectivity that we've made before too is your Darisaw example. When the O-line coach is going in to grade Darisaw for the game, I mean, the O-line coach who, um, you know, his he wants his bosses to think he's got a good offensive line, presumably, mm-hmm. right, is probably going to lean toward his offensive line. Oh, that, of course, that's Kirk Cousins' fault. We told the, you know, the quarterback's not the right depth. The quarterback's not this or that. Um, or, we've, we've again, I've said this a million times, but we've heard coaches say, um, I expect this from Joe Thomas, but not this guy. You know, right. number 70 can't make this block, but I had to ask him to make the block. And all we say is, well, Joe Thomas, he's just number 73 trying to make a block. This guy's number 70 trying to make a block. We treat them through with the same eyes. We actually don't think – we don't have different expectations for Joe Thomas than we do, um, you know, Ty Insecki or whatever it might be. So we are actually coming from a less subjective place than scouts, than coaches, than whoever is doing their grading because there's potentially – whatever their other motives are yeah. or their, um, to, you know, highlight real test. And just to quickly fully explain the Kirk Cousins, Justin Fields thing, like the point about that was to try and say that we, when we're grading, we start from a, the point of view of what is an expected play here for this player at this position, right? Whether it's a quarterback making a throw, like we talked about with Justin Herbert, whether it's a, running back hitting a hole whether it's an offensive lineman making a block like what is the expected play from a rank average madden create a player before you put any stats in like what does that guy do on this play and then what did this guy actually do how much better or worse is that than the expected play and that was my point with justin fields when he takes off and makes that kind of play compare it to your average quarterback independent of the fact that the average quarterback is unlikely to be given a speed option to that side Ever. The point being, you should reward him compared to the average quarterback, not compared to Justin Fields. Because most quarterbacks aren't Justin Fields. So you don't grade him on his own curve and say, well, I expect Justin Fields to make that play. Therefore, he gets zero. You're like, no, that's a legit play that guys like Kirk Cousins can only dream of making. So he gets positive for it. All right. And I just want to answer one thing from the chat where it's like, why would NFL teams rely on a media company for their uh, grading when the reality is we're a media company second or you know we were first graders right we were first uh, data provider to the team and then took that data all of a sudden and created podcasts and created content off it and decided to um, you know we shared it with the fans we, we shared it with the fans years ago I was one of the fans um, hmm. but we're we're both you right? used to be on the outside looking in I was on the outside yeah and let me just say this good old days everybody that emails it. in to complain about grades been there been there yeah 2009 I think 10, 9 or 10 I emailed like what this dude gave up three touchdowns how did he grade better than this other guy that gave up zero or whatever it was mm-hmm. I was complaining about the grades way back then yeah then I jumped then I was in then I saw how the sausage was made I was like that's good and it's all been downhill from there it's all relative it's all relative 
anyway, we appreciate everybody that uh, that asks all those emails, uh, sends the emails, asks the questions, all yep. that fun stuff. NFL podcast at pff.com. All right, so uh, we're going to get to Mina Kimes preview Thursday night football, and then we're out. And we'll be here again tomorrow previewing all of the week 15 NFL action. All right, let's get to Mina. All right, welcome back to the PFF NFL podcast. It's Mina Kimes. Mina, thanks for joining us again. Hi, thanks for having me. It's always good to have a long... Do you still listen to us? I don't know, you're very busy. Mm. I do, so, yeah, so I... I um. I think in the past I've referenced that your intros have been were a bit long. I actually noticed they've gotten a little bit shorter. We take feedback. Is that yeah. deliberate? Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, yeah. we were taking no end of crap from people like you. <laughs> so we had to tighten them up a little bit. We take feedback. We had uh, our friend Greg Rosenthal came on the show and he said that I don't push back on Sam enough. Mm. So I've started, ah. you know, like, like legit pushing him. I just like physically abuse him sometimes on the show, push him around. Right? So Interesting. we take feedback. I do appreciate the timestamps, though, because even if, as short as the intro is, I still skip it. So no, timestamps are a must. Shout out to whoever's putting those out. Yeah, yes. Our timestamp game has also gotten better and better. So um, anyway, we appreciate having you on. Um, Want to talk a little Seahawks and 49ers. So let's start mm. with the Seahawks and mm. the biggest story of their season, of course, Geno Smith, Russell Wilson. So like, what's crazier this season, Geno Smith's emergence and or whatever's, whatever's happened with Russ? That's great. That's a great question because it's not easy. I think Russ's decline, even though there were flashes of it in Seattle the last two years, I'm you know, guys have talked about this, we can talk about it. I didn't see it dropping off to the extent that it has this year. I think maybe we all underestimated too, or maybe overestimated his circumstances in Denver. That includes both protection, play caller, weapons, all of it. Obviously, they've had some injuries too. But I, 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 I didn't think he would be as good as maybe the consensus, but I also didn't think he would be this bad. That's, yeah, that that's kind of where we landed. We, before the season, took bets from fans that thought we were out of our minds for the things we've been saying. And somebody had a bet that Daniel Jones would end up with a, it wasn't even a higher, it was like comparable grade to Russell Wilson, PFF grade. And we only looked at it through the lens of, well, can Daniel Jones take a big enough leap to get to where mm. Russell Wilson is. Never even crossed our minds that Russell Wilson could decline to the point where his grade overlapped with Daniel Jones this season. Like, even the people, and you're one of them, I think I was one as well, who thought, you know, the Russ thing might not go as well as people are thinking it will in Denver. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody thought it would be in the, the vicinity of where it's ended up being. Well, it was interesting the last two years in Seattle, right? Because it was kind of hard. There was a lot of noise in his, it, there were a lot of ups and downs too in his play. Like at the end of his final season, he played really well, I believe against mostly bad defenses, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Game, you know, when he, when he came back early from the thumb injury, he looked bad at first, but then he improved once the Seahawks were out of contention, frankly. Um, but I would say it, the the problems really started in 2020, the infamous too high mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, uh, solution to Russell Wilson. You know, he was pressing, um, he wasn't taking his checkdowns, he was forcing the deep ball wasn't when it wasn't there. And then I think that's probably when you saw a little bit of the beginning of the decline in mobility that has been, in my view, the single biggest issue with his play over the last three years and probably the biggest factor behind what we're seeing now. There's a lot of things that go into it, but for so long, the splash plays, the explosives were based on his mobility uh, to a greater extent than a lot of quarterbacks. And I think once you kind of took that away, um, it all sort of came crumbling down. 
Yeah, so in, in, in hindsight now, looking back, of course, we had the whole let Russ cook deal and all that stuff. It's like, well, if this guy's so effective on 25 passes, why not make it 35? Why not make it 40? I mean, looking back yeah. at that, did, did Pete Carroll and the Seattle coaching staff, did they know something? Like, we can't completely unleash him. We've got him in the perfect, you know, breakdown, and, that's, and we got to stick with it. So that's tricky as well, because I think there's been a little bit of revisionist history when it comes to Russell Wilson and his play during, I would say, maybe 2013 through 17 or maybe 14 through 17, um, because they did run the ball too much. The Dallas wildcard game was the infamous, um, oh, my God, they keep running into stack boxes at like two yards a carry. What the heck are they doing game? Um, I do think there was, however, like. I know that, especially towards the end of his tenure, I underestimated the importance of having a run game to give him the sort of defensive looks he thrived in, and now I see that. But the notion that they should have been running as much as they were during that period, I also think is incorrect, because during that period, Russell Wilson was a different quarterback. He was mobile. He was you know, getting explosives, the likes of which we don't see anymore. So I think like if you look at Russell Wilson now and you imagine he was that quarterback back then, it makes sense, but he wasn't that quarterback. He was a different quarterback during that period. Yeah, like there's a ton of revisionist history going on at the moment. Like the, the number of people <laughs> that are like, oh, Russ was never good. He was made Yeah, that's by... so absurd. It's ridiculous. I've been seeing that why, a little why are, bit. Why, are, yeah. why do all of his teammates hate him? Why are all his well, teammates yeah. coming out and saying, oh yeah, Russ was always like this or, you know, we never liked how he did this or that. I mean, why is that all coming out too? I, I mean, you, this question. is when you play poorly, uh, everybody kind of piles on and sort of <laughs> the feelings that maybe were always there come out. Uh, they don't hit the same when the quarterback is really good. Yeah. What about, so then what, what do you make of Geno Smith and, you know, his emergence and, and, and does this say yeah. something about the, the environment that Pete Carroll fosters for, for quarterback development? Well, forget Pete Carroll. Seattle's a great place to play quarterback. Um, I think the, the biggest surprise coming to the season was is I mean there's things that Gino is doing that really surprised me. We can talk about it, but the biggest surprise has been the play of the offensive line. I think most people projected them as being a bottom five unit, two rookie tackles, you know, recent struggles. So for them to even be average, I don't know where you guys have them graded, but I I, I think they're at least average um, is pretty stunning. And then couple that with one of the best and more underrated one-two punches at wide receiver in the NFL, a trio of tight ends who are playing good, and I think a pretty decent scheme with Shane Waldron, especially his usage of those tight ends. They're 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 really good. It's a really good situation, and um, so Geno Smith, you know, like being accurate, having a good arm, having some risk taking, playmaking is what I really underestimated coming into the season. Um, putting him in that situation, I don't think we saw all of those pieces. We being general public saw all those pieces coming together the way they have. Yeah, that offensive line is up to 14th in the last PFF rankings. It started the season <laughs> 32nd. Like, we expected yeah. them to be basically the worst offensive line in the NFL. And they haven't been that high, what, the entire Russ era. That's what I was going to say. This is probably the high water mark. Again, like another irony, <laughs> the second Russ leaves town, the pass protection becomes well, like at least average. And... It's a lot easier to pass protect for Geno Smith than Russ Wilson, though. <laughs> That's true. Um, but like it, it, it again it's it just all these things that confound the analysis of what was actually going on with russell wilson and the seahawks and now russell yeah. wilson and denver like there's always extra elements that cause problems so what do the seahawks do at number two <laughs> right so oh my god after all this they have a quarterback selection right in front of them if yeah they like, what, so if they weren't picking at number two i think it would be very clear you extend gino there's no question 
you know, but two is tricky, right? Because yeah. um, you're not only like it, it, if you really love one of the quarterbacks, and I think, you know, we've seen certainly in recent years how difficult it is to um, project quarterback prospects. And it's really, I think the last few years has been a, in a rough stretch. But if you really love them, you're not only betting on the young quarterback, you're, of course, getting the young quarterback on the rookie contract, which adds a le- an extra layer of value to the whole thing. Um, the Seahawks have a lot of needs on defense, and we can talk about that as it pertains to this game in particular. So I've been asking people to Photoshop Jalen Carter into Seahawks jerseys for me personally. <laughs> um, but there's, you know, I, you're you're really having to decide, okay, well, if we stick with Gino, if we extend him, then we can use that pick, even potentially trade down or spend it or whatever to improve a defense that has a lot of issues. And I think we can all agree watching this team, if they had a better defense, they would undoubtedly be a playoff team. Right now they're on the fringes of contention. Um so it's 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 not an easy decision. I think it just comes down to do you really love one of those quarterbacks? And I'll I'll be sure I haven't watched enough college football this year and done my draft prep to give a firm take on that. Um, but given the way quarterback scouting has been gone the last few years, um, it does feel like a risky proposition to move on from a quarterback in Geno Smith who is capable in the right circumstances of giving you top ten play. And the last month, I think, has complicated it again because Gino's cooled off a little bit. Like he hasn't yeah. turned into a pumpkin or anything, but he hasn't quite maintained the like the absurd play that he had for the first what two months of the season, where he was pretty much playing as well as anybody. All of a sudden, we've got a couple of games where he's not looking quite as good, and if that doesn't pick up, you know, for the last few, you're probably a little bit less confident in Gino than you would have been halfway through the season. Yeah, yeah it, it's. It's cooled off a little bit, you know. I don't. I, I don't think he's. You, you keep waiting for like the game where it's like, oh my god, yeah. it's over. And yeah. even in the games where he struggled, I don't. I think of the Rams game where he, you know, there were some struggles, but then he bounced back and had those two drives at the end. In the latest game, you know, one of the interceptions wasn't really his fault; it was a, a free play. But he does tend to put the ball in harm's way a little bit. Um, I, I think. It, when all when this all settles at the end of the season, we'll probably have a better idea of who he is but i do think we have a pretty strong idea at the moment i think like at at minimum he is an above average quarterback even with some of the downturns we've i i feel pretty confident saying that frankly especially with these wide receivers in this system so that's that's a data point that goes into the calculation of what you want to do with that draft pick um and yeah it's it's I lean towards keeping him if it's not obvious, but I throw in the major caveat I haven't really dug into the college quarterbacks, but based on what I've seen from them and I like some of the top guys, I do think, I don't think that, again, I I have to watch more, so I keep, you know, um, begging off a little bit, but I I don't think there's like as enough of a surefire thing to move on, especially given as well the needs of defense and some of the defensive studs in this draft. Yeah, the, the Gino, th- I, I completely agree that even when it felt like he's not having his best game, even the other day, right, um, he does, I mean, he had like two bad throws and then throws this dime on third and long to DK yeah. for a touchdown, right? Like he does keep bouncing back. And the thing where I kind of agree with you too, Mina, is I think it's real because he does look different too, right? There's off-platform throws that he never had before. There's uh, using his legs that he didn't do before. There's like the, the throws he made in the Saints game that were just out of this world that he wasn't doing that anytime during the preseason when we saw him or back with the Jets. It, it reminds me a little bit of like the if the Titans had a top five pick 
after Ryan Tannehill broke out? Would they mm. invest in Ryan Tannehill again? Or would they just say, hey, we'll develop the next guy on that rookie contract? I feel like that's what Seattle's decision is going to be. So it's going to be one of the most talked about storylines this offseason, though, right? Like these teams that are pretty good that have yeah. top 10 picks this year. Yeah, I, I was. we talked about a little bit on my podcast uh, earlier this week. I was, had Dominique Foxworth on, as I do every Tuesday. Check it out, Meeting Time Show featuring Lenny. Well we talked about it vis vis the Lions and Jared Goff. And I said, I actually, I think we have so much more of a sample size from Goff <laughs> than we do yeah. from Gino. Yeah. Okay, honestly, in good circumstances. Like, I, you know, I think we kind of know who Jared Goff is. In perfect circumstances, He can. he's a good quarterback. He can make all the throws. He's tough. But the circumstances have to be quite good, especially as it pertains to pressure. I don't think I think with Gino, he's actually proved this year that we don't really know where his ceiling is, um, or we didn't know rather coming into this season. So I, I'd be more inclined to fight because the, the Lions obviously have that high draft pick as well from the Rams. I'd be more inclined uh, if I was Seattle to keep Gino than if I was Detroit to keep Jared Goff. Bouncing back to the Russell Wilson thing for a second, um, we're in this world now where you know top tier quarterbacks—they're they're brands. They're not just quarterbacks. They're this whole world of, of branding and you know everything. You're you're selling something. For example, Brady is selling sweatshirts with Brady written on them. You know, it's real high end design, but it's working. The TB12 thing, right? The TB12 thing. I'm sure people are buying that because Brady's 45 years old, still looking like he's playing at a, a pretty high level, even if this season isn't going well. Russell Wilson has been reported over the last couple of years when this whole thing has been kind of turned against him as he's more he's too interested in brand Russ. Is there a worse advertisement for brand Russ and the one million dollars <laughs> a year plus that he spent on, you know, recovery in his own body than what is currently happening to Russell Wilson physically? Yeah, you know what's weird? Sometimes when he moves though, it looks fine. And I, I actually before like, the concussion there's, there's... the other day, it looked great, but I hadn't seen that in a while, right? He yeah, it's like he won't do it him. though. Yeah. Or there's like, I don't know, like he should, I mean, yeah, it's been a tough year, obviously, for everything Russell Wilson related. Um, I don't know. And, and it's a lot. The, the, the first question I always get is like, did you see this coming? And I give the answer I gave to you guys. And the second question is, is this it? Like, is it going to be that bad? And um Denver doesn't have a choice. Like they have yeah. to bet on the fact that it can't always be that bad. That a change in coaching and whatever will at least, you know, undo some of this. But I don't have an answer to that because the decline has been so precipitous. And it's really rough because it's so physically based, and because yeah. apparently he's already been spending a million dollars a year on physical recovery. It's not like you're taking somebody who's like never looked, you know, at a recovery. Yeah, <laughs> like institution at all and been like okay we can get this guy on the tb12 method and we can start bouncing back some of the physical you know decline that we've seen no he's already there and it's still yeah, falling he's doing a dynamic warm-up on the plane to london of That's course he's uh you know he's taking care of his body i mean so not to stay on this too long but I, my theory is that even if whether Nathaniel Hackett's there or not, the Broncos are calling somebody that's worked with Russ previously. Brian Schottenheimer coming in, Daryl Bevel. Like, is somebody coming in who had some level of success, even though those guys in Seattle, right, there was enough pushback with how they called plays. But is that the only play to kind of like salvage Russell Wilson is to go back to some coach that, that knows him? I think that makes sense. I mean, it, a lot of it, like if you can get Russell Wilson to buy into using his mobility more, I think, um, you know, like what we've seen from Marcus Mariota, I mean, they're not the same athletes necessarily, but 
I think if you can build an offense where he is on the move more deliberately, but that requires his buy-in as well, that would help a great deal. Um, theoretically, like Denver, should, like they should have had obviously a better run game. You lose Javante Williams, blocking isn't quite what you would hope for, but like there's like theoretically, you could see them trying to lean into that a bit more. Um, I think the question is again. I keep going back to buy-in. Like, will Russell Wilson buy into an offense that's you know a little bit more centered around him using his legs? And I don't know. And and it, it's yeah. It, it, it when you watch him, it just feels almost like he is resisting some of the things that have happened to him over the last. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. You want to get to the game a little sure. bit here? Okay, so we got the um, 49ers favored by three and a half. The Brock Purdy show. He's dealing with an oblique injury, but he's back. What do you What do you make of the Niners, Brock Purdy, and can they uh, can they keep it up here? Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, yes, <laughs> is my short answer. Um, Perfect. I, I like. I'm sure you guys really have loved what I've seen from Brock Purdy. It is stunned me his performance I, I mean he seems to be not only capable of executing the offense but elevating it in ways that garoppolo wasn't i don't think it's too early to say that based on i mean you know we saw against i i, mean, I thought that bucks pass rush and some of the pressure like i thought they would give him way more trouble than it did his ability to um throw deep against the blitz um, not be fooled by some of the even like some of the simulated stuff they were running the uh, mobility and playmaking he showed in response to when pressure did come I mean who can forget when he when I uh, think it was Tryon Shienka who got uh, yeah a free rush on him and Juked then he stopped on a dime yeah. I, what the hell was that dude um, yeah I, I have a lot of faith in them I especially have a lot of faith in them against the Seahawks defense that um could not stop Carolina from marching down the field like six, seven yards a clip. So um, I don't think this offense will have problems moving the ball on Seattle. Yeah, I kind of agree. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, I I'm in the same place. I mean, yeah, Purdy did add a little bit of uh, athleticism to the mix there. It's it's funny actually watching him play. It made me think back with number three. Nothing against Trey Lance here. It made me think that when the rumors that Mac Jones was going to be the guy that like, those were really true, right? Like, couldn't you see Mac Jones having success in this offense? Like they just want a guy that's going to get rid of the ball, a quick decision maker and all that stuff. I'm not saying Trey Lance won't work out when he eventually gets there and they have Purdy right now. But Purdy was, looks was... way better against pressure than Mac Jones has at any point in his NFL. I, I mean, it's still really early. It's still really early. I'm I just mean, saying based on, Purdy's college career was like, wow, this dude's awesome as a freshman. He kind of like leveled yeah. off. He's better as a freshman than he was as a senior. All I'm saying is it yeah. felt like, like in hindsight, it looks like the Garoppolo, Mac Jones, Purdy, get rid of the ball quickly style would have been better, even though I was sure. fascinated by Trey Lance maybe upgrading the run game and what Kyle Shanahan would do with him. We'll still, you know, we'll get to see it. But that was what I was thinking as I was watching Purdy on uh, on Sunday. But he was he's been really impressive. And they got all those playmakers there. So yeah, I'm no Debo this week, right? So Minus for a few Debo. weeks, yeah. Have, uh, have I you, did, yeah. Have you used your de one designated Purdy pun, like officially? <laughs> have you dropped that one yet, or is is that still in the? I chamber? think I did. Um, mm, everyone's doing Purdy pretty good. Mm. I forgot what I went with on my podcast after his first performance. Yeah. By the way, like it, it's. 
the Christian McCaffrey trade has aged so well watching this offense. I think especially given losing Garoppolo, I'm, do you like, I, I, I actually doubt, I question whether they would, what we were seeing happening with Purdy would be happening if Christian McCaffrey wasn't on the field. I mean, when you see him line up out wide, right. And the fact that you have a, you know, a coach like Shanahan that's willing to do that, right? They didn't just get yeah. a running back. They got a guy that with receiver skills that they're going to use at receiver. And, that, you know, that was the touchdown before the half and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, if you if you properly lay into, uh, lean into McCaffrey's skill set, right? And it's like, okay, how do you cover McCaffrey? Like, George Kittle has, like, three or four catches per game, but it feels like if they needed him, he could have his 9 yeah. or 10, but they don't need him all the time, right? That's the beauty of the Niners' offense right now. Some of the run stuff they were doing too against Tampa. It feels like Shanahan's kind of still figuring out how he wants to use McCaffrey in this offense. You know, various concepts and ways they were lining him up. I, yeah, I mean it's Thursday. Woof. I mean, did you? I mean, the Seattle run defense is. I mean, it, I don't think there's anything more painful as a football fan than watching your team just get run on that way. Like yeah, it's that, because at least with explosives, it's like, yeah, you can blame that cornerback or, you know, eh, yeah, like it, it's a, it's a quick stab to the gut, but the just total inability, like, I mean, and total lack of answers. Like I, they were running like goal line defense, trying to stop. Like it was so sad watching that. Um, yeah. It's, it's a pretty, pretty disastrous matchup. Yeah, it's pretty miserable. Um, like the the McCaffrey thing is interesting because it is validating that idea of Kyle Shanahan being a guy that goes after running backs, despite all the evidence saying that him of all people yeah. should not be going after running backs. Like the fact that he keeps swinging for them should probably tell you something about that decision making tree. Like it's not Kyle Shanahan isn't an idiot. He clearly understands that he's able to get production out of nobody and yet continually keeps trying to find the superior player for a reason. And McCaffrey, I think, is showing why. Like, we're starting to see why the Shanahan people still keep shooting for our high-end running backs. And if you think of him, though, as obviously this not he's more than a running back, but when you think about, like, when Kyle Shanahan made that decision slash John Lynch, the question, Jimmy Garoppolo was their quarterback. So the question that they had was like, okay, we, we've seen this movie before. We've seen this defense before. We know where, how this ends. What is, what can we do to avoid that tragic ending where, you know, Garoppolo's limitations ultimately like end a playoff run? It obviously took them all the way to the Super Bowl. And I think the more I thought about it, you know, it was less about like, I mean, the run game was actually kind of weirdly inefficient before, by the way, like the first half of the season for San Francisco. But also just having an answer versus pressure for Garoppolo. Now we're seeing that with Birdie. Um, that's that was something that you saw really early on when McCaffrey came into the picture versus the Blitz. And then also just you know knowing that like we're going to have to manufacture offense through creativity, personnel usage, all the things he does. Um, it, it it makes more sense. It's it's not as simple as saying like you know he's taking a a shot at a high end running back right so it made sense at the time and then now I think with Purdy it makes even I mean it it has proved to be even more valuable to me. Plus, it's going to be way more attractive to lure uh, Tom Brady next offseason mm -hmm. and to uh, in as a free agent to San Francisco. Back All right, home. Yeah. at home, yeah, going back home. Where, you know, <laughs> he only scored seven points last week. Um, 
at least for Seattle, did did John Schneider, Pete Carroll, did they get their draft mojo back this year? The two offensive tackles that we talked about, Tariq Woolen in the fifth round, Kenneth Walker the third. Let's the, let's finish on a positive note for Seattle and then get your <laughs> prediction for the game. Uh, this year looks like a slam dunk. Don't look at the last few, prior few drafts, though. No. Um, it's like 2010, yeah. 11, 12, and 22. It looks great. Hopefully, look. Hopefully, the 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 run defense thing. It, it's been an ongoing issue. It went away for a little bit after the bye. It came back. Um, the reasons for that are complicated. But ultimately, if I was really to distill it, it's less about scheme, more about personnel. You could argue that they have the wrong personnel for the scheme they run. But I don't think going to like a four three that they would be better in run defense. They're just getting pushed around in the front seven. Um, so you know, get, hopefully they get Shelby Harris back and Al Woods sneaky important players sneaky good players by the way shelby harris like weirdly the best player in the broncos trade um so hopefully that works i do have a little bit of doubts so even if they were a little bit better in defense you know um i have doubts i as much as i like geno smith this niners defense which gave him problems the first time they met uh should be able to give them problems again this time they're a bad matchup for everyone so it's not one of those games where i can say well the defense is going to struggle but they can turn this into a shootout so i don't i don't see this one ending well particularly well for seattle sadly for me so will will the will the seahawks at least cover three and a half i assume you can make picks right there's nothing keeping you from yeah i don't know i don't feel great about that it's in san francisco no it's in seattle Seattle. oh it's in seattle (sighs) yeah so you know it's gonna be something weird and field goal game or you know, something weird's going to happen. I mean, I guess this could be the Brock Purdy come back to Earth game, but I don't know if this is the defense to make that happen. So. Should should we be comparing Brock Purdy more to Mike White, right? Like, don't you know, Mike White looked great in a couple games, but you know, he falls as, back as down to Earth. Mike White as opposed to Joe Montana is that? What, that... I mean, on in Sunday's game, even though they said we're not directly comparing him, of let course me, they put the you guys. Of Purdy let me ask you Brady. this: When you were watching Brock Purdy, I mean, there was that interception. Did you see anything on tape that made you think there's the the, the limitation that it, the right defense might press? No, I, not yet, I don't think. Like, I don't think we've seen anything that says this is just a product of, like, circumstance right now. Obviously, the circumstance helps, but he's executing stuff within that at a level that the people before didn't. Nick yeah. Mullen, the CJ Bat. Like, this isn't the version of that where it's just entirely a fabrication I, of what's around him. I would just say that the, the arm issue is a thing. Like, in the Dolphins right. game, there was the un- unblocked pressure. He takes a hit. He underthrows it. It was fourth down, but he underthrows it. Xavier Howard picks it off. On Sunday, McCaffrey, it was McCaffrey, uh, the Ayuk touchdown, where Ayuk was 12 steps behind the yeah. corner. He takes a hit. He just has to yeah. get it to him, right? So it's like the pressure stuff is going to be a variable because I think the arm strength, right? So that's going to yeah. depend. If if you can get enough pressure, I don't think Seattle's going to get a ton of pressure on him in this particular game. But if you do go up against a better defense, I could see those things coming back to bite a little bit. Yeah, you want to challenge him to be you over the top. Um, and he's shown a more willingness than Grapplo to throw outside the numbers. Sure. That's been the thing circulating, right? He has the <laughs> two deep balls outside the numbers, same as Grapplo. But there weren't like great deep balls outside the numbers. So I think that is something that you want to to bet on. Even though the, the, he's shown more willingness to use the entire field, that doesn't necessarily translate to incredible ability to do so. So I agree. That's how that I think a more aggressive approach and coverage would be helpful. So there we go. Are you officially taking 
the Niners then? I am. Yeah. Shocker. Is this the first, is this the first time we've had someone go against their team? Uh, it might be. Yeah. I know. Trev picked the Ravens. Trev picked the Ravens. We have Ariel Helwani said that the Bills would win by a thousand. Yeah. uh, Joe Thomas said the Browns would win by a million. They Mm -hmm. were just, you know, being conservative. And uh, Mina's I like over to be pretty unbiased, but I also like to build in emotional hedges yes, so that yes. if I'm wrong and everyone's like, you bet against Seattle, I'm like, oh, no, I'm so upset. <laughs> wow, you got me. Like, damn. Where are you it's going? Heartbreaking. Steven? Oh, I have to make a pick here? Yeah. <sighs> have you been tracking Steve's picks, Mina? Because it's apparently the most powerful betting edge on the market <laughs> these this year. I listen to you guys talk about them sometimes. Yeah. Um, They're not good. They are not mm. good. They're, they're so far from good that it's actually pushed into the other realm where if you just faded you every week, you I'm, would be the, the richest I'm testing it for, I'm doing a contest with my seven-year-old Harry. We're going to do a, a bowl-picking contest. Yeah. So if he beats me Ooh. by like 10 games or something, we'll know it's, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take Seattle. Home dogs. <laughs> Home Love dogs. it. Going okay. Seattle here. Do you really believe that? <laughs> no, because my, my strategy from now until the rest of the year, I've tried going opposite of my feelings. I've tried just I've tried all these things. I'm just going like first instinct, like first thing that comes to mind. Your word is game association. Basically, this is Name the first time I've really thought about the game and the spread. And I was thinking home dog, Seattle, little purdy regression and all that stuff. So that's that's where I went. I don't love the matchup for the Seahawks at all, though. Yeah. So. So we'll I'll take see. the Seahawks to cover. Yeah, you know, weird. I do stuff. think Purdy's going to turn the ball over. Yeah, I think that's going to happen. So maybe, you know, Daryl Taylor strip sack or something. the The good news is the the rest of the field, like the best against the spread picker that's being tracked in the world, is closing in on you. That's good. Yeah, yeah. And by you, I mean the opposite of the opposite picks. of me. Yeah. yeah. Who are you taking, Sam? Uh, I am taking the 49ers to cover the three and a half. All right. Well, you guys are probably right. So. I hope we're wrong, by the way, because I'd much rather. I was just doing prep for my pod, and we're talking about Giants Commanders, and I was looking at the Giants roster, and I was like, "God damn, I don't want to watch this team in the playoffs." Seattle, you lose to Carolina. Like, wouldn't you rather watch Geno Smith and the Seahawks than there are like players on the? I've just not heard of half of their defense. (laughs) I mean, I was just like, I I try to like have a pretty good command of the league, and I was like, dude, this dude is I've not heard of him. Mm even when you've heard of him, like, did you realize Jalen Smith's been playing a lot of football for them this whole season, right? Like, tackler. Yeah, yeah, shocking, yeah. We were saying, like... Yeah, the secondary? Oh, my God. It's, ama- these guys? it's amazing that, like, the most aggressive defense in the world in terms of blitzes and stuff is always paired with a bunch of who the hell is that guy at corner? He's still doing it. Yeah. I kept, like, reducing the splits to see if uh, Martindale had cut back. <laughs> That's no, it at no. all. It's so it's well, awful. You know, I will say the Giants him, fans, goes, I do I've, like, but their their front, their... Uh, the first round draft picks are all playing pretty well. So yeah, yes. Um, Gino said it when they faced the Giants. He's like, I've never seen so many zero blitz looks in my life. We had we needed so many blitz beaters against the Giants. Yeah. So, at least that part's oh, fun to watch. Shocker. Yeah. Well, Mina well, Kimes, tell everybody where they can uh, where they can find you. Mina Kimes show. What else? Yeah, my show is the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny coming out twice a week now on Tuesdays with Dominique Foxworth and then uh, on Thursdays to preview the weekend. Does uh, does Lenny have a booking agent? Do we need to go through somebody else to get Lenny on the podcast? I'm his agent, so you, we can offline about this, but I don't think you can afford him. Perfect. That was our fear. Yeah, that's yeah. why we didn't try this time. Well, any big time. <laughs> well, thank you, Mina. Appreciate it. Have to have you back again. Bye, guys.